that uh, you were able to uh, celebrate Easter in your homes, your locations, in a wonderful way. I know that we uh, celebrated in a grand way this last week with a couple of services and a grand breakfast that our hospitality team knows no stops about, and that's just awesome. It's just great. But can I just tell you that uh, while we had Malta, we had several guests. We also had indications for uh, those who wanted to receive the grace of Jesus, salvation. And we are so, so grateful for that, those decisions. If, uh, if you're here with us and you have not taken a moment to fill out the connection card, we want you to go ahead and grab that connect uh, card. And uh, afterward, if you're new with us, uh, your first time with us or something like that, you just go back to the welcome area. We want to be able to give you a gift that's in, in the lobby and uh, hand that to you. Well, as you've already heard and as you've already seen, we have our Zone team here this morning. Uh, we call these opportunities that we take once a quarter uh, Family Worship Sundays. And they're just a wonderful way that we can be all together, at least most of us can be here and we're grateful for the team that gives week in and week out to, the, to our kids in the kids zone. And I, I just uh, would like to have everyone who contributes in some way to the kids zone, please stand. Would you please stand? Yeah, great. Yeah. I, stay standing. Whoa. Thought you were going to go somewhere, didn't you? We want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And just ask a a blessing on you and just are grateful for how you lead our kids uh, to Jesus and in his life, in his lifestyle. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for each of these individuals who serve in the kids' zone. Father, I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit and give them your word. Uh, Jesus, Father, told us not to hinder any of these little ones to come to him. And may this team continually be equipped with your word and your spirit to come alongside each one of these kids to show and share your love and give them the unhindered access and freedom to your kingdom that you desire them to have. Father, we, I pray that these, uh, these kids' own team, Lord, would be equipped to come alongside mom and dad and guardians, Lord, who, uh, Father, desire to see Jesus realized in each one of their children. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you invite all to come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again. Please be seated. Well, uh, this morning, uh, kids, you have been handed a handout in your crinkly paper package. Can I hear the crinkly paper? Come on. All right, let's give it up. Yeah, there you go. It reminds us that they're here. It's good. So inside that paper, inside that Um, envelope is a piece of paper. Yep, Ariel's holding it up right now. And at the very top, at the very top, there is a place where you can tally how many times you see the covenant hands. See the yellow hands there? They make a heart, but they're actually two hands coming together. And so you can tally them on the top, right? So keep track on your handout. And after the service, you want to find Miss Kathy. You want to find Miss Kathy and let her know how many you found and you will receive a special treat, okay? Just keep tally on all of the slides during the message, and that's how you'll do that. Ariel, you have a question. 
Well, it's there, right? <laughs> ah. Yeah. What? Oh, I'm told it doesn't count. I didn't make the rules. I'm sure that we would have, we would have some allowance. It's all right. All right. So today we are... <laughs> we're t- nothing like that, right? Today we're starting a new message series from the manuscript of Hosea called Pursued. Last... Uh, last week we were awakened to the extreme love of God. My question to you as a parent or a grandparent even, how many of you would um, be willing to give up your son or daughter for somebody else? Yeah, not too many of us. We are awakened through the Easter celebration that there is one who gave up everything, his one and only son for us, so that we could become the sons and daughters we sang about just a few minutes ago. This event, Easter, is a catalytic and seminal moment in the way of Jesus and in Christianity. If you didn't know that, everything else that led up to it, his teaching, his miracles, they're all good, but the resurrection solidified everything that came before. The Old Testament, the New Testament up to that point, everything hinges on that. Paul tells us if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we might as well just walk out of here. He didn't say that, but he did say we might as well just forego what we're following. The resurrection is the seminal and catalytic event that changed everything. But God has been pursuing humanity before history got to Jesus' birth, life, and death on the cross and the empty tomb. He's been pursuing humanity all that time. Uh, These are the cornerstones of following Jesus and having a personal relationship with him, obviously, and maybe not so obvious for some of us. And Jesus is the final embodiment of God's holy love for you and for the world. It's the, fullest, it's the fullest form of his divine love for you. And when we can experience that reality of the daily waking, sleeping, walking with God, it is the, it, through the grand deposit of the Holy Spirit, it is a wonderful thing. But there's much that came before it and much that we can learn about ourselves and about our world in which we live from this book. So when we talk about a personal relationship with God, we tend to use these terms of father, or friend, or teacher. But there's also, uh, but the, the Bible also speaks of being a partner with God too. Being a partner with God is an essential part of the biblical script. And sometimes we, we chase past uh, this idea of we are sons and daughters and him being a father and a teacher But we chase past this first and foremost invitation for us to be partners. And in this week of being, uh, in this week that we have had Earth Day, this is a grand reminder to us that we are to be partners with him, right? From the very beginning, God has invited us to Genesis 1 and 2 to rule and subdue the earth. We've been we have been partners with him and have been invited to that. We have been It has been his desire that creation be led to a flourishing by our work in it. 
The idea of being that partnership is really, I think, the essential backbone to even our personal relationship with him as father, as teacher, and as friend. The words from Hosea's manuscript are, are strange. Before we get to them, I'm just going to tell you, they're strange. Some of you have read them, and I know that. And they're peculiar. And so today, to uh, calm moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas' hearts and minds about how we're going to go about this, we're going to be talking, I'll just tell you up front, we're going to be talking about covenant first to lay a groundwork of understanding how God and why God would do such strange things or have others do such strange things as Hosea did and others have done. It all, though, is to demonstrate God's holy love, his divine holy love for you and for the world in which he calls his own. It's strange, but it's a demonstration of radical, unleashed love for you. So before I read them, I want to remind you what Isaiah has said about all of us, that we all are like sheep and have strayed away. We have left our own, our, our left God's paths to follow our own paths. So, allow me to read from Hosea 1 and 2 before we move into the rest of our text. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Berai, during the years of Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first, be, first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to them, Go and marry a promiscuous woman so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. We have to ask our question here, why does Hosea, God ask Hosea to do this? And again, I really want to restate this because this is God's pursuit of us. It's his holy love for us. Why would he ask Hosea, who's considered a prophet, to do this? Let me explain first what a prophet is, quickly and succinctly. Prophets were commissioned to speak and act for God. They were concerned with the covenant, we'll get to that in a second, and God's people living in obedience to it. That was their central driving force, commissioned by God to speak on behalf of disobedience to the covenant. The prophets in the Bible, oftentimes we think about this, were not people who predicted the future. They were not future tellers. Yet some of their words have an impact in the future definitively. They do. But in the moment, they were prophets for the moment and then the day and then the time. Their words did, I will repeat this, have implications to the future. But they spoke for the present moment. Take, for example, before we get into some others, Isaiah, who, who had this incredible encounter with God and was commissioned to do something for him. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6, It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, how many of you have had dreams like this? 
How many of you? Yeah, some of us have. Seriously, we have. Some of us have had encounters like this. This was the encounter that prophets would have to be commissioned by God to speak on his behalf. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy Holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And and the entire building was filled with smoke. Prophets often had encounters like this that were commissioning encounters, if you will, by God to do and act in ways that were strange. Isaiah, if you were to read, he did several things that were kind of odd. Uh, One of them being, um, uh, not to be so bold, but one of them was to illustrate what he was going to do to other nations. Isaiah walked around nude for three years. Crazy stuff. So often the prophets would have these encounters, but it was to drive home the concern of the covenant that had been broken between God and his people, and to to bring them to repentance. This partnership between God and his people had been broken. So you may say, and I'm going to fill in, what are the covenants that God has laid before his people, especially in the Old Testament? Well, the first one, kids on kids, I'm going to need your help in a moment, is the first one was with Noah. The first one was with Noah. Now, each covenant my friends, has a promise from God and generally a commitment on on behalf of the other people. Now, if you remember right, there was corruption in the land all over the world and and God was just a little tired of what was happening, let's say the least. And he commissioned Noah to build an ark, right? You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Good. A little feedback. I like that. And the promise, do you remember what the promise God God made with Noah after they came out of the ark? Do you remember the promise? The promise was that he would never flood it again with what? He would show them something in the sky. Anybody from the kids' zone? A rainbow, that's right. Yeah. So we read these words in Genesis. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. This is the first covenant that we have in the Old Testament that we read. There are four of them. There are four of them. He, he says in verse 16, when I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant God, between God and every living creature on the earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all creatures on the earth. So God establishes a covenant. The interesting thing with this covenant is he does not ask humans to do anything. He doesn't ask Noah to do anything. He promises to never flood the earth. And from what I can understand, he understood that humanity could not keep their end of the bargain. 
he decided on himself and in himself to keep the covenant on his own. The second covenant we read, and one that we may be most familiar with, is the covenant with Abram. We read this in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and there are some others in Genesis 17 that are continuations of it. But Genesis 12 says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those you bless, and I will curse those who, those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So God promises, uh, promises are clear in this covenant that Abram and his family line will be a great nation, that there will have a land that will come to them and that they will be a blessing to all the earth in quick. What is the responsibility of, of Abraham and those who come behind him? I'm going to boil it down to two things, to teach and to train his family to obey God to teach and train his family to, in the way of the Lord. Here's one of the greatest tests to whether this covenant promise has, has and is coming to fruition. He said that Abraham would be a blessing to all the earth. There are three religions that hold to Abraham as their father. That hold to Abraham as their father. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And if you were to walk down the street, most streets, you would probably find at least two or three people out of all the people, they would know Abraham even if they did not go to church. He's, been, he's famous. The incredible thing with this one, and can we just tell you, we didn't keep up our end with Noah. God knew that. We, we or Abraham was not able to keep up his barking or his commitment with this one, yet the fruition of it still comes to pass. It is incredible. The third covenant was with the nation of Israel itself. I've only selected a couple of passages from Exodus 34, but I would encourage you to go read Exodus 34 and this covenant that God made with the nation of Israel as he makes them into be uh, a light for him to the world. In Exodus 34, 1 and 2, it says this, then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. You can go back and read about that. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. Verse 10, the Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in, or in any nation. And, I, and all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then go, then I will go. He, verse 11, it's not, I don't believe that one's on your screen even though it says it should be. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The promise, if you will, you want to boil this down, for us is to live according to the Ten Commandments. Uh, and there are some, a few extra, uh, 613 extra laws there that he threw in for uh, his Jewish people. 
But we are to live to these. And through keeping the Lord's commitments, the Lord would, would then allow us or allow his people to be radiant lights around the world. Quickly and succinctly. None of us have kept this. They were not able to, nor have we. The fourth covenant that we see in the Old Testament, the larger covenant, was with King David. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, it says this, For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong, and he is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any other father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in his vision. This covenant was to have a royal heir a son who would come from King David, who would be on the throne forever. We understand that this one has come to pass, even though our grand, if you will, our humanity's grand failure to keep up our commitments to be as he's called us to be. I mean, he he requested that we would live or that King David would train up his family in the way of the Lord. And there were many grave failures in that process. Why do I walk through all of these covenants? Because to understand the prophets and to understand the peculiar ways in which they were requested to do things, we have to understand that we were been called into, from the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, we've been called into a partnership, but that same partnership has been established with us in our humanity all throughout the Old Testament in this idea of Hand and hand. That God would ask us to, to partner with him is an audacious thing. One that from the very beginning, God himself knew that we could not do, yet he continued to pursue us in through that. And he, began, he continued to place prophets to speak about the, the errors and the desire for repentance to draw people back to himself. This is the case for Hosea. This is the storyline for this minor prophet in the Old Testament of which we read it and we go, what in the world is going on? These poetic lines that are written into this ongoing narrative of the disobedience of God's own people. We need to understand that the prophets have a crucial place, a crucial place in the storyline of God. And not only for those in the past, but I believe, as we'll see over the next five weeks now, that that they have a crucial place for us as followers of Jesus now, calling us back to him on a regular basis. These prophets were not 
front and center, even though they had God's word that were on their lips. They often lived in the margins of culture, and can I just tell you, they were often ignored by the ruling parties that were at play during the time. They were on the outside, speaking in, but often were not heard. As we continue through this series, we're going to deal with our our own personal waywardness, and we're going to continue to deal with our own communal waywardness. But through it all, this is what I want you to hear, that God's holy love continues to pursue you, has pursued you as we celebrated last week. When we think about covenants and we think about commitments or contracts, can I just tell you there are a couple of ways I think about covenants. When I think about my covenant to my spouse, my wife Kathy, um, there is a definitive difference between living to a contract and a covenant. When we come to a covenant, we often write into, if we are writing them businessly, we write in the bare minimums that we have to, uh, to, to reach. In fact, that's sometimes our frustration with those that we're in business partnership with in some way, shape, or form. They just do the bare minimum. They get away with the bare minimum, even though they see that there's other things that probably should have and could have been done. They're only held to that very minimum. In a covenant relationship, though, the kind that the Bible talks about, there, are, there is the desire to bring in your 100% person to every part of the situation. And so as we walk through Hosea and as we consider what God is, has done and what he is continuing to do as he pursues us and as he's pursued us through history is we are going to wrestle with this, this desire, uh, with this call to bring our whole selves to him because that's what it demands, our whole self, our 100 part of, our, uh, of us to it. And that's why God does some peculiar things through a willing, commissioned prophets of God like Hosea to draw us to the awareness of his holy love and the love that he wishes to lavish on us. In Hosea 11, we, we, we get a glimpse throughout of Hosea but in Hosea 11, we have these words. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images as a, a ball, burning incense to idols, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that I was the one who took care of him. I, I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. These are words of passion from a God who desires to have our full attention and affection. There are ones that desire to wake us up and call us into a covenant that he's established really through his own son, you see, followers of Jesus are in partnership with God by living out the covenant even today. Scholars will tell you that each one of those covenants that I went through, whether it's Noah or it's Abram to Abraham to Israel to David, they are cumulative. 
They're not, well, that was in the past. They are cumulative to this day, and that's why it is so essential for us to, to really possess this understanding of what covenants are and what they were so that we can live into this holy love that God calls us to. The covenant that we're called into these days, the, most, the grand one that's probably the most difficult to live out, even I would say more difficult than maybe the ones except all the 613 laws that the Jewish people had to live out, is the one that we recite on a regular basis. It's simply this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Every time that Israel or Judah moved, swayed, they got it, they moved in, in, in wrong directions, they missed this first one. It's the first one in, in, in the Ten Commandments. I love your Lord. Do not have any other gods before me. Love me first. And yet I think it's the most difficult. And yet it's the one that is compelling us even in these moments. It's even a part of Ipsy Freeve's fabric of mission and living. We just say it this way, love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together. That's our call. That's our call. So let me ask you, let me, let me give you a few next steps. How do we do this? How do we live within the covenant? We'll walk through these over the next few weeks. How do we live into the covenant in the way that he's calling us? It's this, followers of Jesus are in partnership with God by living the covenant through reading scripture. You, you cannot live the way of the Lord in the path of Jesus without reading the word that he gave to us. It's simple as that. Number two, followers of Jesus are in partnership with God by living the covenant through prayer. Or can I just say it this way? By living scripture, or by being in communication with him, being in conversation with God. Number three, followers of Jesus are in partnership with God by living the covenant, by engaging in community. If one of the errors of even the Old Testament friends that we read about on a regular basis was, it was that they, they held community with the culture in greater number than they held community with those who were followers of Jesus or followers of God, excuse me, Yahweh. They held community and their eyes were distracted. Community calls us back. A healthy biblical community calls us back to seeing God and to living the path for us of Jesus. It doesn't allow us to go, well, it's okay. It's all right to do that sin. It's all right to think that way. But a healthy biblical community that lives to the covenant of Jesus says, hey, can you, I'd like to, I'd like to have a conversation. Where's that coming from? Why do you think that way? And in our culture that has such a pull that it does, and in some of the places and spaces we spend our time in, we, we crucially need to be in scripture and in prayer and in community on a weekly basis. So friends, you can know where I'm heading with this. If you're not in a small group, if you're not with a group of people who are who are reminding one another through reading scripture, through spending time in prayer, and celebrating community about, hey, 
How's it going? How's your life? Is it matching the scripture that we're talking about? My friends, you desperately need that because the culture has the potential to distract us into disobedience. Let's pray. Before we pray, kids, did you get all the covenant hands? Did you get them? All right. Father, who pursued us with love, the love of your son, Jesus, we are grateful. The covenant you made with us and for us, well, we have to admit we broke it. We broke it by being in sin. Father, you knew this. You knew that the, the, the covenants you created, both in the Old Testament and even the covenant that you make with us now, is one of partnership, one of with you. But, Father, we come broken people. Not that we desire to sin, not that we desire to be disobedient, but, Father, we see ourselves reflectively in what is presented in Scripture and Father, we want to love and we want to be, have our affections and our attention given only and for you. Father, we thank you that what Hosea presents to us and will present to us is that foreshadowing of a love that desires not only a partnership, but a relationship. A relationship that your son, our Savior, demonstrated to us on a cross when he opened his arms wide and bore our sin and died. And then, not just that, was, was raised on the third day of the deep love and power you displayed in him for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you knew how to, uh, to heal the broken covenant. You restored us and restored it to us. Thank you.